welcome to The Heart of Memphis, a podcast exploring the contours of the arts, commerce, culture, and faith. In each episode, we try to take you to the heart of the city. The Heart of Memphis is brought to you by a partnership between Lux Creative and Lindenwood Christian Church. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of The Heart of Memphis. We are excited to have our guest that's right across the street from us here at Lindenwood Christian Church, the Reverend, the Dr. Jody Hill, the president of Memphis Theological Seminary. Jody, thanks so much for taking the time to come on with us today. Oh, it's an honor. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Great to be with you guys. You know, you and I moved to Memphis at, at roughly the same time, and um, we've had this little pandemic going on, so we're learning to be flexible and nimble in the midst of all of this, from a, a church to a theological institution. It's, it's been wild times since we got here, hasn't it? Oh, my, it has. You know, people, uh, We I started in January 2020 and had all these ideas and plans, and then, of course, two months later, the pandemic hits, and so many people uh, say to me that great southern term that uh, Louis Grizzard made famous, you, you can say anything you want to about someone as long as you bless their heart, so some, many people would say to me, oh, bless your heart, you, you came in there, and then the pandemic hit, and I said, oh, no, no, that's not all a bad thing, because no matter how bad I screw this thing up, I've always got an excuse. That's right. <laughs> You and I are in that. We did all of this in a pandemic. Look at how (laughs) well everything turned out. Or we can spin it the other way. Hey, not my fault. It's not my fault. That's right. That's right. Uh, well, you got it. You got an accent, even even in the South. So let, let, we're going to just go back to the start of your life. Tell us a little bit about, you know, where did you grow up? What was it like growing up? Where you're from? Give us a little bit about your early years. You know, you you mentioned the accent. We did live in St. Louis for a while, and uh, shortly after moving there, we went to a local McDonald's, and my kids were young. They were playing in the playland. This little kid. I didn't know I had an accent to this little kid looked at me and he tilted his head. You know how a dog will tilt their head trying to figure out something and he tilted his head and said, Sir, do you speak English? So <laughs> I said, Son, I do, but I speak Mississippi. So there's a difference in Southern and Mississippi and this is what you get. So grew up in rural Mississippi and uh uh certainly uh have not been able to shed that part of uh who I am, and uh, but uh, I bring all the good, the bad, and the ugly of that, I guess, Jeff. Absolutely. So you grew up in rural Mississippi. Where, where are you from? Yeah, uh, a little bitty town. Uh, my hometown is Faulkner, Mississippi, uh, named not after William, but his uh, great-grandfather, who was kind of the inspiration for Sartorius, uh, the colonel in that. Uh, he spelled it correctly. William put the U in there, so Faulkner doesn't uh, have an, a U realistically but it's a little small town but a great kind of uh, heart of the world um, and uh, that's where I grew up and uh, currently or, or when we moved back from St. Louis in 2008 moved to Corinth Mississippi so a, a little bit more of a small city as we would say in uh, <laughs> Mississippi it'd be more of a town in in uh, those who are more situated in urban settings um but I did, uh, I went to seminary here at MTS in 96, uh, went uh, 96 to 2000. Most people can uh, knock it out in about three years, but of course yours truly, it takes uh, another good four or five years for those undergraduate and <laughs> master's programs. And um, can I, you may keep going on Well, that I don't want to skip over, I got myself sure, a point sure. here that I'm going to dwell in. Yeah. You can't 
you have to talk to us about going to Ole Miss. Yeah. Because you've got, uh, you know, I think one of the reasons you and I hit it off so much is, you know, we have a love for God, love for the church, and have a, a love for that which is just below the Trinity, which is football. For sure, for sure. <laughs> and so you went to Ole Miss and, and played football. Uh, tell us a little bit about that because you've got intersections with two you know, notable people of, of Chucky Mullins and, and Cooper Manning. Sure. What what got you to Ole Miss to play football? Well, you know, just that uh, connection, kind of like you with TCU. I think that's maybe been where yours started, but it just grew up a fan mm-hmm. uh, going to the games, and it was part of our family lineage, I guess you would say. But just had a dream of uh, playing and competing on that level. Um with the size and speed of these guys today, I don't think I would ever see the field. It's the game has changed so much, but um, yeah, Jeff, I had been recruited very uh, mildly to say it, <laughs> to say it um, in a way that uh, is uh, not beating myself up too much. But I did. I had a good relationship with the head football coach Billy Brewer at the time. He asked me to walk on. And uh, after a year, I had earned a scholarship and uh, was never an every-down player at Ole Miss. But I did letter three years playing special teams, you know, doing the kickoff, the punt return, all those fun things, suicide squad assignments. That's right. Um, Let you take the brunt of the injuries (laughs) on special teams. (laughs) Get out there and take one for the team, literally, right? Yeah. and then, uh, as you mentioned, segueing there, I had the great fortune of being a teammate and uh, came in together as freshmen with Chucky Mullen. Some of your listeners will be familiar with his story. ESPN has, ESPN has documented Chucky's journey quite well. Tell us a little bit about that. Some may know it, yeah. others may not. You, you have written a book about yeah, yeah. You know, the Chucky Mullen effect. Sure, sure. Chucky was uh, a kid who uh, grew up uh, in – Rural North Alabama, Russellville was the name of the town. He, in some ways, our story was similar. He was an overachiever. You know, he was never really considered, quote, an SEC football player. Wasn't quite big enough, fast enough, but uh, was an exceptional high school player and just had a heart of a lion, uh, charisma, personality. And when you met Chucky and you saw that, what made it even more inspirational was when you knew the backstory. Uh, he didn't have a father that was present in his life. His mother was uh, addicted to uh, substance abuse, and uh, he ultimately, his mother died as a result of um, those addictions and went into foster care. And just, I, I like to say to people, throughout Chucky Mullen's life, the world frowned upon him. And every time he, every time the world frowned upon him, he met it with a smile. Just had this uh, wonderful spirit and personality. So, even beyond his injury, he had this tremendous impact upon teammates. And, um, you know, we talked about how uh, the, one of the great beauties of Lindenwood is its diversity, just kind of a melting pot of people, or as some like to say, a salad bowl of people, where you keep your individual parts, you become part of the one. And we have that similar nature at MTS. But anyway, football has those cultures too. Yes, Jeff, it does. You're familiar with following TCU and being highly engaged in that. So, you can have those clicks, those segments where the linemen hang out together or the star players or the walk-ons or the different racial makeups. Well, Chucky was one of the guys who transcended all of those boundaries, and he was friends with everybody. And he brought people together and just had this innate ability, I would say God-gifted ability, 
to do that. So that was the person he was. And then for those of you unfamiliar, he sustained a traumatic, it's a horrific story, uh, traumatic uh, injury in a game against Vanderbilt in 1989 when he was paralyzed, um, became a quadriplegic immediately, and um, lived uh, 18 months after that. So, and then he died as a result of the injury. Uh, and, and my purpose in telling the story was to say, you know, yes, it's horrific, but there's a wonderful goodness that came out of it in Chucky's impact and effect upon others. There's a member of our church whose brother had a, a similar injury, not from football, yeah. and they had a, a, a van that helped transport him around. Mm-hmm. And when his brother died, that van was given oh, to Chucky. How about that? So I, I want to connect you guys. I'll, awesome, we'll do that offline, man. but I want to make sure you know that story runs even deeper here. I've seen that van. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, I've been around it. That's awesome. So I, uh, it, yeah, he was uh, injured tackling Brad Gaines, and they're working on putting together a movie uh, to kind of share that. Brad called me up a couple of years ago, well, before the pandemic, and he said, man, I've got a job for you. I want you to be my pastor in the movie. So I've got this one little segue. I don't know if it'll ever make or if I'll make it, but – I tell people, I don't know if I'll get to heaven or not, but um, I'm Presbyterian. I worked at a Baptist college once. I dated a Methodist girl, and I, paid, I played a Church of Christ preacher in a movie. So I've got a good <laughs> chance, you know. I've kind of got all the boxes. <laughs> that sounds like the student body at MTS. <laughs> yes, it That's does. That's right. All right, so it's quite a transition to go from college where, yeah. you know, you're trying to get your degree, you're, you're, you're doing the more dangerous jobs yeah. on the football team, to seminary. Sure. How did you experience your call? What made you make that transition from, or did you always know you wanted to be a preacher? Did you go to college thinking, oh, you know, I want to be a business leader. I want yeah. to be a high school football coach. What was the context of your call? Sure. Um, okay, so uh, growing up, we uh, we had a uh, road construction company that my family was a part of, very successful, employed about 500 people when things were going well, uh, did work throughout the uh, Mid-South, uh, did the uh, retrofit of the uh, I-40 bridge down here by Bass Pro Shop. You know, that's one of the local. Did some of the matter work. Um, did some of non-connell, well, we used to call it non-connell Parkway, Bill Morris Parkway. Hill Brothers Construction was the name of it. So that was the plan for me to go into the construction business, be one of the second-generation owners. I did that. And uh, so in 92, when I finished college, went into the construction business and uh, I worked there for about four years and then started feeling what you felt in many of us and that called ministry of restlessness that, um, you know, there has to be something more to life than just making money and canning all you get and then setting on your can. And uh, so I started ha- having that uh, sense of calling that um, I wanted to do things beyond myself and uh, beyond uh, uh, even my own household to serve others. And uh, so I started uh, experimenting and wrestling with, you know, what is that? So I went to seminary in 96, not knowing, not feeling like I was going to be. I, I knew one thing, Jeff. I didn't know what God was going to do with me, but I knew I wasn't going to be a pastor. So four years later, I was a pastor <laughs> and uh, started my ministry uh, in, in full-time pastoral ministry in 2000. After I graduated, that was a tough decision, leaving the family business, the comfort and the confines and the security, man, and uh, breaking my mama's heart, you mm-hmm. know, and my dad's because they had these plans for me. And 
everybody thinks it's a great idea when someone goes into ministry except their children, you know, their their kids that they have a plan. You know, for. I can tell you that. I've been I'm 46. I've been yeah. doing this since I was 20. Yeah. I have had so many angry parents yeah. come to me and say, "Why did you That's put right. this why did you plant this seed That's in right. my daughter and son's head?" Yeah. Like I, I remember not naming names, but sure. young woman that was on track according to her parents to go to University of Texas and then go to university then UT Med. Yeah. Like she's wow. going to be and I I was like, "You have a passion for the poor and a love yeah. for God." I said, you, you could do a hundred things for the sure. kingdom. And I'm not, and you can do that going to med school. I'm not. Yes, for sure. But I saw gifts for ministry in her. Mm-hmm. And her dad came up to my office to tell me, don't you ever say that to her again. Yeah. You know, don't wow. ruin my kid's life by making him a minister. Gosh, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. So you ruined your parents' plans. I did. I did. <laughs> and I, as a preacher's kid, my dad did not want me to be a minister. Yeah, you know that's wow. that's. I mean, he when, knew when what I, you were signing up for when I when I accepted it, he was okay with it. Yeah, but he, like he always has this pushback. He didn't. Jeff did not go into the family business. Yeah, Jeff answered God's call Amen. for his life. Well, you know. yeah, and I've, and I applaud your dad for that because I've often heard it said, probably more eloquently, but if you can do anything Thing else, else yep. do it. You know, mm-hmm. and that's when you know the call is real. That's right. So you're doing what you told God you wouldn't do. That's you're right. serving a church. Um, what, what's the pathway from being out of seminary to serving a church to now being yeah. the head of, of a vibrant, diverse, ecumenical institution here in the heart of Memphis? I mean, I can't imagine Midtown without Memphis Theological yeah. Seminary. Yeah. So a little bit more on that journey. And um, so I was in full-time ministry till about 2004, about four years full-time pastorate, and uh, we have a son who has a hearing impairment, uh, well, he's deaf, uh, for lack of better terms, and he received a cochlear implant when at about that time, about 2000, about the time I graduated, and we made the decision to move to St. Louis for his hearing needs in 2004. He excelled there academically, socially, and um, it's a wonderful story now. He's at uh, dental school at UT. So oh, outstanding. Just, uh, uh, broken every month, and he's oral. I mean, you know, he uh, has the cochlear implant and um, is a, a speaking person and functions communicating. But it's a long, hard journey. Anyway, so we moved to St. Louis. There were I grew up as a Cumberland Presbyterian. That's uh, the denomination that owns the ecumenical mission of MTS and supports it um, most directly. And there were no Cumberland Presbyterian churches in that area, so I went back into secular work fell on my uh, construction roots. I went to work with Caterpillar. Some will be familiar with uh, the, the big construction equipment manual. I got family that work there. Oh, really? Yeah, family so, around Peoria, yeah. which is the, awesome. the anchor sure. of Cat. <laughs> so with my uh, Mississippi accent, they put me in the most rural area <laughs> they could from St. Louis and uh, sent me selling the smallest uh, skid steers that they could find. And uh, then when I left four years later, I... My territory was St. Louis County, and I had our full product line, and I was the territory manager for St. Louis County. Uh, so that, um, what I'm saying is I'm not trying to say, look at Jody, how wonderfully it is, but I think that prepared me for this journey, having the secular experience, mm-hmm. uh, the marketing, the sales, uh, uh, having to make payroll from the construction industry. That was part of my journey. When we came back to Mississippi, Jeff, I went into bivocational ministry, tent maker, as some people would call mm-hmm. it. Love that that ministry and uh, certainly celebrate my great brothers and sisters like you who are in full time ministry. But so many of our churches and, and uh, our ministries 
just uh, don't have the funds to sustain a living wage uh, for someone. So, yeah, the average church in America worships what sixty five yeah, or seventy. Yeah, for we, sure. You know, we see these huge institutions and think that's where most Christians go to a church yeah. with seventy to a hundred people in worship. Yeah, and are served by pastors that are bivocational or or barely full time. For sure. So the end of the story, closing the loop yeah. here. <clears throat> so I was went back to work with our family business when we moved back in two thousand eight. 2013, the economy got the best of us, the downturn. Uh, we went out of operations. You know, this once thriving company that was doing $100 million worth of work annually and employed over 500 people, uh, the doors closed. So quite a traumatic experience for our family, for our employees, for coworkers. And I had to look in the mirror again and say, okay, God, what are you going to do with me now? Where, where do I go from here? And um, I had served on... The MTS Board of Trustees, other nonprofits. So I was, I had always had a comfort level of helping to tell the story of those institutions I believed in and, and seeking input and support from others uh, who wanted to partner with us financially. I'd never done that professionally. And uh, God uh, opened some doors, opportunities as we see those experiences in life. And we, we just know that this has to be of God. We couldn't have made it up or fixed it open an opportunity for me to um, uh, become part of the ministry at Blue Mountain College, a little college in North Mississippi owned by the Mississippi Baptist Convention. And um, they started me out, once again, I started out as small as possible, paying me one day a week to do consulting. And then we would get me a couple more days a week, as, uh, and then I became the director of development. And ultimately, after... Being there four years, I left as the vice president for community relations, which is code word for raising money and building <laughs> relationships. And and I was the first non-Southern Baptist member of the president's cabinet. So we I celebrated that as you know their their belief in what we were doing together. So mm-hmm. that was a segue into um, the opportunity at MTS um, moving from Blue Mountain here. So you'd been on the board of trustees. You're a graduate of MTS. What in the world makes you say, I want to go be, like, uh, the reason I'm asking why would you want to go be a seminary president, we all know, or I know and you know, the challenges of higher ed are only compounded in the challenges of theological, uh, graduate theological education. You know, the shrinking, you know, the churches churches are in decline, the number of clergy are in decline. Um, in, In our tradition, we've had multiple you know, we've had colleges close. We've had seminaries that are, you know, kind of on the edge of figuring out how to make it. They've had to reinvent themselves completely online or, or hybrid. Um, and you said, God, I think you want me to oh do <laughs> This yes. is like investing in Blockbuster in oh 2007. My, yes, you're exactly right. What kind of crazy guy walks into that? Uh, you know, to, so to share a little bit about how grave things were. So... When uh, the opportunity, if we want to call it that, for me to come here uh, at that time in 2019, when I was looking at it, the, none of the employees had been had received a raise since 2014. Um, the uh, endowment was getting drained, uh, you know, by relying on funds that weren't coming in for operational needs. Uh, the all the bonuses, or excuse me, the uh, retor- employee retirement program had been taken out, the matching pledges for that. Um, we were on warning with both of our crediting bodies. I wonder if you can even 
continued to do operations. So that was what I walked into. And no pressure. No, no, that's right. So how and why I was kind of the, the last man standing, too. You <laughs> know, I think else I wanted. was at the bottom of the barrel. Nobody else wanted it, and I kept hoping somebody else would would uh, take it. And um, But ultimately, um, so I didn't initially apply or seek because I knew the challenges that were, I mean, quite honestly, that were going to be a part of that. And um, But uh, through some discernment, through, uh, as we always do when we seek, the Holy Spirit's guidance for our family, for our life, and our ministry. Uh, oftentimes, it's those individuals we respect or have great affection for that say, you know, uh, you need to consider this. And you wonder, is that God's still small voice of the Spirit speaking through them? So um, I at least entertained the, oppor- you know, the opportunity and, and considered that. And uh, ultimately, there was a peace that surpassed, as we would say in Scripture says, our understanding that this is the call for you right now. So you hit the ground running and you get yeah. the pandemic. Sure. <laughs> so in the in basically two years, Yes. what have you been able to accomplish that you feel really good about? What are you proud of? Not of yeah. just your work, but yeah. of, of the work of that um, institution. Mm. You know, thank you for saying it that way because it is, it, you and I appreciate in the great sports metaphor, it really is all about we and not me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we... Uh, that's one of the first things we did is uh, enhance morale, you know, just uh, the belief that we're in this together, that we care about each other, uh, that we're going to have each other's back. And I think um, so there was a cultural change. That's one of the things I, I really want to say about it. Uh, one of our, well, in fact, our senior professor, Dr. Mary Lynn Hudson, um, uh, said, and uh, our senior faculty person said, you know, it's a new day at MTS and just seeing going through those storms and those challenges that that we have hope uh, so those are uh, that that's important but uh, from a practical sense you know where we've come from and, and I, I do and I hope your listeners will appreciate this this isn't me saying look what Jody's done this is saying look what we've done through God's grace and only through God's grace and only together I mean how can a hillbilly from Mississippi that talks like me serve in an urban setting and see a transformation only through God. So where we're at today, our endowment has grown from, it was just over $10 million when I came here two years ago. We're at $15 million now. We've given 3.8% salary bonuses to our employees each the last two years. We finish in the black operationally every year that I've been here. We intend on instituting a permanent pay raise uh, this uh, fiscal year in 2022 in August. We're off warning, and we've been accredited for the next 10 years from both of our accrediting bodies. And uh, so those are things to celebrate, you know, and that is truly, uh, and we still have challenges, you know. We're still working at it, but we see that, uh, and that's so affirming, Jeff, that we say, you know, uh, God's favor is still upon the work we do, and we uh, that's, that is to be celebrated. Celebrate the work we've done together, but most of all, what God has done for us and through us. You know, most of our listeners are, are not familiar with, with seminary. They haven't, you know, sure. lined up to take the MDiv or sure. get their DM in. And m- most may think, well, you know, people took the route, either you did or I did, which is 
you know, we grew up in the church, mm-hmm. you know, got, hey, you should, you, somebody probably told you you should be a minister. Yeah. You know, people told me you should be a minister. And then by the time you're 30, you're, you got your MDiv, you're ordained, you're out the door, and you spend your whole life. That's not the story of most no. uh, seminary students. You know, so there is no um, normal story for an MTS student. Yeah. What are some of the variety of oh, stories wow. of people that enter into um, theological education at Memphis Theological? Yeah, that's so cool. So many, uh, the majority of students are second career, meaning they, they did something else, you know, before moving in. But, yeah, the variety, as we speak of, and, and we are similar in a lot of ways, Lindenwood and MTS, when we speak of diversity, it's not just about racial diversity or, or economic. Uh, uh, for an example, here's some of our alums. Um, Todd Richardson, the president of Crosstown Concourse, the, the brainchild who, who developed that and spent his training in arts and uh, was a professor at University of Memphis. And he said, you know, had I not gone to MTS, received my master's there, there would be no Crosstown Concourse today. Um Keith Norman, uh, bivocational minister and uh, pastor of First Baptist Broad here and not too far away, but also serves as vice president of government relations for Baptist Hospital. Um, Kirk Whalem, Grammy award-winning musical jazz artist, played with Whitney Houston. You know, he's one of ours. And Kirk likes to say, and I love the way Kirk says this, he said, MTS changed my life. And I love that because not changed me, but changed my life in, in a profound way. Um, Lisa Anderson, uh, one of our, our graduates who was a longtime chaplain at Served St. here. Jude. She worked at Lindenwood yeah. during seminary. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'd forgotten that. And the founder of Room in the Inn, homeless ministry that sustains our city. So you see the diverse ways that, that people engage and uh, come from many different backgrounds and then go out to serve what we like to say, the church and the community for God's glory. One of the noted graduates of NTS that members of our church may know about, especially people in the music scene, John Kilzer. Yeah, sure. Was, John was, um, you know, I, I've got, I never met him. He had tragically passed right sure. before I moved here, but I have all of his music on my phone. Wow. And awesome. we, have, we have shared some of that in worship, and it's it's amazing. We have a couple of people in our band that knew him when he was the point guard at sure. the old Memphis State That's and have right. just journeyed with him the whole way. Oh, wow. Yeah. Great story. Yeah. So obviously there's a larger impact than just the local congregation. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I, I like the way that you say that. It's not just the church. It's the church in the world. Yeah. And the church has a larger mission than but more people in the pews. Yes. You know, I think Crosstown is is a gift from God to our city. Sure. You know, and obviously what, what Dr. Norman does with his congregation as well as his witness publicly in connection with health care. Yeah. All of those things serve, um, you know, the kingdom is bigger than my congregation. Oh, my. Do you think that's one of the problems church folks get into is that we have our little circle and then maybe God does something around the world but not down the street? Gosh, Jeff, you know, I'm such a uh, um, ugly word that a lot of people would say, a moderate or a centrist. I'm such a believer in bringing people together and, uh, you know, saying, hey, let's, let's focus on what we hold in common more than anything that, we differ or disagree about. I think that's one of the beauties of the opportunity that MTS offers. Uh, so cool. I mean, you'll have, um, uh, we serve a large uh, population of United Methodists who may be having a three-point charge in uh, rural Arkansas, and you got that guy sitting in a classroom with maybe a guy or a girl who is uh, doing inner-city gang ministry here in Memphis. So they're learning from each other, and um, 
what we like to say is you're not always going to agree in the classroom with your professor, with your president. But, but what we like to promote at MTS is a, is a place where we can dialogue, where we're not always going to agree, but we're not going to have arguments. We want to have discussions. We want to grow together and say, you know, uh, let's, let's focus on the love of Christ more than anything else that might divide us in the church. So I think that's one of the gifts that we give. Certainly you can go to a place. There are in many academic institutions and theological places where you can go with that deeply uh, rooted uh, doctrinal training for your denomination. There's benefits to those too, but as, a, as an ecumenical mission of the Cumberland Church, we feel like um, you know we are representative of that melting pot or salad bowl of God's church where let's, uh, let's work together for God's glory and through, in, through Christ's love. Well, I for one love that. Great. Yeah, Great. I, I love that. So, in, in kind of kind of looking to, to close up our conversation here, what are your hopes for Memphis Theological over the next five years, and how, how is that connected not simply to equipping pastors, but to be a gift to this city and to the Mid-South area? If you and God could sit down and author a dream, yeah. what would it be? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I do think um, that ultimately what I like to remind uh, our team our community, as we like to say, is that we are about serving the church and the community. Um, you know, our mission statement is to educate and sustain men and women for ordained and lay Christian ministry in the church and the world through scholarship, piety, and justice. Um, so part of that mission to, yes, we, we all get the educate, but I love the fact that we sustain them too. You know, it costs about $20,000 to educate one student uh, annually, and we charge less than half of that in tuition. Man, that gets me excited. It makes me want to put this lapel pin on every day when I can tell the story and say, hey, you're helping sustain these ministers where they don't have a huge amount of debt by your giving and supporting of our ministry, and you're, you're preparing them in a way to, as you said, Jeff, to serve this city. Now, that starts with me. What's the dream? What I like to say, I... Uh, uh, oftentimes, uh, when I'm sitting in the president's office, that beautiful office there at MTS, uh, it was built in 1906, uh, Joseph Newberger home. When I'm sitting in that office, oftentimes people bring documents to me, and um, it, it needs to be signed, and there's a line to be signed by the chief executive of the institution. And what I like to say and, and live out, as I share with our community, faculty, staff, and students, and trustees, is that more than the chief executive of MTS, I see my role as the chief servant. Uh, so I want to be the first in line to reach out to our students, to our community, and say, how can I better serve you? And I think if I live that, then we together, that is my vision, my belief, is that how do we, as MTS, better serve the church universal community of Memphis and Mid-South. That is a powerful dream. I appreciate oh, that. Great. I appreciate that. Well, Dr. Hill, we appreciate you coming on on this episode of The Heart of Memphis. Is there anything you want to leave our, our listeners with? You know, I just am grateful. I do celebrate uh, our friendship and uh, what a gift you've been to me here in our transition into Memphis. I'm grateful for Lindenwood Church. You are indeed a light in Memphis, and, and so grateful for this podcast. I do want to say that Heart of Memphis, what a great way to 
say, you know, what, what, and I love the way you guys said it, what is Memphis more than faith, uh, uh, arts, and uh, commerce? That's who we are, and it's great to be part of this journey with you guys. Thank you so much. We appreciate you coming on. God bless you. We want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of The Heart of Memphis as we've explored the contours of the arts, commerce, culture, and faith. I think in this episode, we allowed you to, we, we were able to take you to the heart of Memphis. Thank you.